You're listening to the Oaks Church, a faith family located in Denham Springs, Louisiana. For more information about the Oaks, visit oaksonline.org. Good morning, church. Glad you're here. Glad to uh, be able to open up the Word of God with God's people and to study and to examine what God has for us this morning in worship of His Word. We just worshiped Him in song. And so last week we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 12. And in these two verses, we really discovered uh, really the theme throughout all of the book of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And this theme is this great salvation that was to come and that is here now. And so as we looked at this salvation, we learned that this salvation was studied by the prophets that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, that it was preached by the apostles, and that it was examined by the angels. And so look with me in verse 10 of 1 Peter. And it says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating that he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow, and so they prophesied about this. They longed to know the King, the Savior. They longed to see Christ, but they never did. But in that, they predict His sufferings and His glory to come. And it goes on to say in verse 12, it was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but you, believers, you, Christians, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And so even in all of Nero's scheming, in all of Nero's idea to persecute or to destroy or to end the Christian church and the Christian movement and everything that he did, it really helped us as Christians. He thought that it was this great, this great movement to destroy or to eliminate the Christians. And so in his attack on Rome and in his efforts to blame that on the Christian people, in all reality, what he did, he allowed the church to grow stronger through our persecution and through our sufferings. See, God is sovereign. He's in control. He understands the movement of all things from all, all eternity past to eternity. He is in control. He is sovereign. And so he wasn't thrown off. He wasn't caught off guard by Nero. But he had a plan. And he had a plan that in our suffering as the church, that we would unite together in Christ and grow stronger. And grow stronger in our pursuit for him in this persecution. And so look back with me at verse 6. It says this in chapter 1. It says, In this Greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, for a season, for a moment, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, so that the genuineness of your faith will be more precious than gold, which is perishable, even through tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And through and though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, obtaining as this the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so deep-rooted faith in what Christ 
is doing or did and is continuing to do in our life gives us a salvation joy that is inexpressible and cannot be removed from the believer. That is what causes us to seek this living hope through the resurrected Christ. So this is what Peter is saying. And this is the cool thing. He doesn't say just stop here. He doesn't say, okay, this great salvation is so good and just just rest in it. Just rest in it for all of eternity and sit back and be like, I'm saved. Life is good. He says, no, there's a call. There's a call to holiness and there's an urgent call to holiness. Because we don't live this life for this life. We live this life for eternity. We live this life as believers with a perspective that is fixed on eternity and is fixed on Christ. And so we cannot view this life for this life. If we do that, this life will be yours. And the Bible teaches that. If you live for the world, if you live for the lust of the flesh, it will be yours. If you live for eternity, if you live for Christ, that will be yours forever. You will not die. So then he goes on to verse 13 right here. And this is where we're going to focus in on verse 13 through 23. And this urgent call, this urgent call to holiness is, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself also in all your behaviors, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as the Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that they were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but the precious blood as the, as the Lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, for he was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but has appeared in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purify your souls for the sincere love of the brethren, fervent love one another for the heart, from the heart, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. And so this first section, this first part here, verse 13 through 16, is the preparation for holiness. Look what he says here. He says, therefore, and this is a transitional uh, conjunction here, just that, 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 that kind of changes his thought. Remember, he, he shifts back and forth. Peter, we've learned he shifts back and forth from doctrine to practice, doctrine to practical living, doctrine to practical living. He shifts back and forth here. And so he says, therefore, He's transitioning the shift here from doctrinal truth to more application. It's therefore, prepare your minds and keep sober. He says, compare your mind. Compare your mind. He says, fix. He says, fix your hope completely on the grace we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this word fix here, it's actually a military word that Peter uses here. It's a, it's a certain kind of action. It's a, it's a decisive action that is continuing. It's not, it's not something that we do for a moment. We just don't fix 
our eyes. We talk about this great salvation. We don't fix it on this one moment in history where Christ gave his life and we're done with it. That we continue to fix our minds on what Christ did for us. That we continue to renew our minds on the grace that God has given his son for us. And so it's a continual thing. Fix our eyes. He says, so forth. So therefore, prepare your minds for action and keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely, perfectly on the grace to be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Peter gives us two practical ways that we can fix it. He says, fix your mind. He says, well, first he says, prepare your mind for action. Prepare your mind for action. And this word prepare here, it means to gird up. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but in ancient days they would they have these robes with their cool little sash and all that, which would be funny anyway in this time. You'd see a bunch of men running around. But they would gird it up and they would tuck it up into that sash. And so just imagine like these dudes that are going to war so they could move more freely. They gird up their robes, these white legs and sandals, and they're ready to battle. I mean, this is just it's kind of a cool thought. I was like, what's going on here? And so, but they're they're girding everything up so they can be free to move. Because otherwise, that robe, it'd be pretty tough to move. And you'd probably get defeated in the battle. And so they gird that up. And this is what Paul is saying. He's using this term here to say, gird up, pull up all the loose ends, all the loose ends in your mind and your thinking and the way that you have trained yourself to think about holiness. He says, pull that all up. He says, fix it on Christ. Fix it on Christ. He is the enduring word. He is all that we need. So gird it up. And then he goes on to say, keep sober. And it literally means intoxicated. Not to lose control or actions. And so the, the metaphor is this. It's not, it's not talking about like it's sober in everything that we do. Not tackling, just drinking or anything like that. He's saying everything. Don't be intoxicated. Don't be intoxicated in money, in pride, in lust, in all these things. Keep your mind sober. Keep your thoughts sober. Keep your spirit sober. And fixed in Christ. And what He has done. And His revelation of your life. And not what the world continues to push onto you. Because it's so easy for us to absorb the thinking of the world. Right? If we're going to be honest, it's easy to think how successful we could be or should be or what we need to obtain in this life and what we should Those things are easy because it's continually pushed on us through TV, through internet, through whatever, work. Everywhere we go, the world is telling you how you should be. So that's why we must fix our eyes on Christ. That's why we must keep our spirit sober in His Word because He wants to reveal to you how you should be, how you should live. And not allow this world to take over your thoughts and your thinking. And so I love this quote here. It says this, If a Christian finds anything more attractive than fellowship with Jesus Christ, if he yearns more to enjoy this world than to receive joy of heaven, then he does not love his appearance. Does not love his appearance. His appearance, Christ's appearance. He does not love that. He does not look and yearn for Christ's return. When we live with that hope, it changes every perspective we have in life. It changes everything. It changes how we go to work. It changes how we coach the youth team. It changes how we love our lives. It changes how we view church. 
changes everything. Because we are longing for the return of Christ. And we want Him to be satisfied. We want Him to be glorified. And not ourselves. It changes everything. And so there is an urgent call to holiness. And it starts in our mind that we prepare our minds. And then continuing in verse 14, Peter writes this. He says, as obedient children, do not conform to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. And so conforming here means to shape to or to fashion after. So our true holiness cannot be shaped to our former lusts. That's what he says right here. It can't be shaped to that anymore. He says, once you were ignorant. Once you were ignorant, and that's okay. We were all ignorant at one time, and sometimes I'm still ignorant to certain things. It's because I don't know any better. It's not a bad terminology. It's a good terminology, but there's one once we know, it should be fixed. We can't rest in our ignorance. Because once we know the fix to it, once we know the reality to then we cannot blame it on ignorance anymore. And so this is what he's saying here. He says you cannot conform your life or shape it around these former lusts. Because if Christ lives in you as believers, if Christ resides in your heart, you cannot look like the world. You cannot. You cannot conform your life around the lust of the world, but around the Word of God, around the people of God. So then this is what he says. Actually, Paul says this in Colossians 11, 3, 1. He says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on the things of earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Christ lives in the believer. And the believer longs, longs for the Father to be completely satisfied in the work that He is doing here in the world. So we must, we must prepare our minds prepare our spirit to be at war against this world. Because this world hates you. But we have a love that conquers it. So we must rise up. We must rise up. And now building right here on verse 14, he says this, I love going into 15 and 16, but like the Holy One who called you, be yourselves also in all your behaviors, in all your behaviors, not some of your behaviors, not where you think should be, but all your behaviors, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God has imputed unto you his holiness by his Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's given that to you, so now you have the capability to live a holy life. There is no excuse. There is no excuse, believers. There is no excuse. There are times where we fail. That's not it's not about being a perfect life or living the perfect life. It's continuing to strive for holiness. That's why these verbs in here are action verbs that we continue to fix your eyes, that we continue to walk in God. Because life is hard and we are going to mess up. But when we mess up, we get right back up and we continue on. We continue on. We fight the fight. We run the race. And so God has given you the capability to be holy. There is no excuse. He says, I've given you my spirit. The Spirit of Christ lives in you. You have been raised. So in our preparation for holiness, 
said, I'm sorry, for this is our preparation for holiness that we fix our minds on things of God and we keep your spirit sober. And then look at verse 17. Look at the price. Here's the price. Sometimes we forget about this. It says, it says, if you address, verse 17, if you address as father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold or from futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but has approved in these things the last time for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And so in verse 17, it says this phrase right here, it says, conduct yourselves. Yeah, right there in verse 17, it says, conduct yourselves in fear. This means reverence. It means awe. It means respect. It means that what Peter is trying to say here is that in our pursuit, in our pursuit of hope and holiness, we will produce a life, a life of worship. We cannot help it. That when we pursue holiness, our life will result in worship of who? God. That we will be in reverence, that we will be in awe of who He is and what He has done. That we will adore Him. Joe's talking that we will adore who He is. Our life will be a life of worship. Your life of worship. Look at Proverbs 9. And 10 says this, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We will understand who God is. We will love God, and we fear God, and we have reverence for Him. We worship Him as King, as Lord, as Savior. So conduct yourselves in fear. If we stay here, he says this, Conduct yourselves in fear during your time. For your stay on earth, because how believers conduct themselves before the omnipotent presence matters both in this time and in eternity. It matters both. How you conduct yourself, how you are, if you conduct yourself in a way of holiness, it matters not only today, but it matters in eternity. Listen to what he says in verse 18. It says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold through your futile ways of life, inherit it. From your forefathers. So this futile way of life indicates this vain, that word there actually means vain or worthless. That if you are not a redeemed believer, you actually are living a worthless life. That you are useless. So he says here, he says, no matter what you think about the unredeemed people, the unredeemed uh, men and women that they are living, Worthless life. It says right here, it says inherited. Inherited, it, it, it identifies our condition that we were staying, that we were lost, that we were, that we're no good without Christ, without His blood, without His covenant. And so here's the, here's the, the transition here. It says in verse 19, it says, But with precious blood as the Lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And so let's let's kind of put these together. Verse 18, 19 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood, as of the Lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. This is the price that was paid for you so you could stand before God, justified, so that you could walk in a worthy manner 
that was holy, not by your power, not by your deeds, not by what you have done, but by the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, the power of Christ's Spirit in you. This was the Christ that was holy, that you could stand before judgment and God would see you righteous and holy. This Christ was because of the unblemished and spotless Lamb of God. Now listen to verse 21, 20 and 21. You hear this undeserved reward that was rendered to us because of the price of his son's life. It says, for he was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but has appeared in the incarnation, has appeared as man in these last times for the sake of you, of all of you, of all the redeemed, the royal priesthood, he says in verse 21, who through him, through his death, his resurrection, and his lordship, are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope in God. This is a price. This is a price. So we have preparation, how we prepare ourselves, as there is this urgent call to holiness. But to do that, in sync with that, we must understand the price that was paid on our behalf. We must understand that. Too often in the church we teach on how loving God is and how good He is and come, accept Christ and come in front, but we never teach about our condition, where we were before Christ saved, before He had mercy on us. That we were lost, that we were wretched, that we were sinners. It brings a new perspective on a holy life. Where you were, where you were, because of your condition, God had mercy on you. And because of His grace, He loves you enough to send His Son to give you life, to give you life forever. So then the last part is the purification part, or the refining part. In verse 22, it says this, since you, have, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for the sincere love of the brethren, Fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of the seed which is perishable, but imperishable. This is the, uh, through the living and enduring word of God. In verse 24 it says, For all flesh is like grass, and all the glory like a flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower, fall, and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which he was preached to you. So in response to this, in response to this holy living that should result from our new birth, our new hope, our new resurrected life in Christ, there's three areas here. It's obedience and truth, sincere love for the believers, and a desire for spiritual growth. So as we are being refined, these are things that you will see. These are characteristics that we will see. We will have obedience to the truth, we will love others, just key. And we will seek the Word of God. We want to grow in the Word of God. We want to desire that. So, verse twenty-two it says this: Since you have been, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls, and so what this means is that living a holy life demands purification. That the result of us obeying the truth is that we are purified. That we have a purified life. Psalms one nineteen nine says, "How can a young man keep his ways pure?" It says, by living according to your word. So as trials refine our faith, so obedience to God's word refines our character. You hear that? That, that, that the trials of our life, 
refines our faith, but our obedience refines our character. The word, obedience to the word, refines our character. And so the one who has purified himself by living according to God's word has discovered the joy of obedience. It's a joy to be obedient to God. It's a joy. So this word here, purify, it means it describes a past action with continuing results. I hope this encourages you this morning. That it's a past action that has continuing results. So God, His Word is purifying you. It's continuing to sanctify you. It's continuing. This is a good thing. This is a good thing that we can walk in obedience to the truth so that we can be purified daily. Daily. So that when we walk in holiness in the midst of this world, they won't see Jason, but they'll see Christ in me. Because the Word is purifying. My obedience to the truth is continuing purifying my ways. So I love this. It's not only did God cleanse Christians from the past, but also in the future. Listen to what Ezekiel prophesied in chapter 36, verse 25. It says this, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will clean you from all your filthiness and all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my stature, and you will be careful to observe my ordinance. Did you hear that last part? He says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my stature. He didn't say, maybe you'll walk in my stature. Hopefully you can walk in my stature. He says, I will cause you, I will be with you, that I have empowered you. Galatians 2.20, we say it all the time, that Christ lives within you. He did not leave you here, believers, on your own in the midst of persecution, in the midst of circumstances, trials, and troubles. He himself will walk with you. As a matter of fact, he's walked before you in his sovereignty. Trust in him, have faith in him. And he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my stature, and you will be careful to observe my ordinance, that you will hold the truth of God's word dear to your heart. And then he goes on, he says, since you have been, in verse 22, since you have been obedient to the truth, purify your souls for a sincere love for the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. Whether you know it or not, at salvation you became a member of the body of Christ, which is the church. You are a member. And this love of the brethren that he speaks of, that Peter speaks of, is to be sincere. It's to be sincere. When we love our brothers, when we love our brothers with a faith that is sincere, it brings unity to the body of Christ and it shows the world. It actually attracts the world to us. There's this attraction about it that they want. When they see this local body, when they see other local bodies loving in unity together, and loving sincerely, it draws the lost to God in our unity of the church. Listen to what John 13 says, verse 34 and 35. It says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as you have loved, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
What a call for us to be the church, to love one another. They will see Christ. They will see Christ because of the way that we love and care for one another here on this earth. And then Peter builds on this love and he says this. He says, not only love your brothers, but fervently love one another from the heart. And this is a term that means to stretch to the fullest. Stretch your muscles to the fullest. And so the, the metaphor here is that we go all out. That we reach to the furthest extent that we can possibly reach to take care of the brothers in Christ. That it is that important. It is that important. If you do not know that, it is, it is very important. I think you've heard it throughout the New Testament. Love one another. Love God. Love people. Love God. Love people. We've heard that theme throughout all of 1 John. We just walked through 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Love another. This is so important. Our love reaches out. And so then Peter, listen to how he uses this word in, in chapter 4, verse 8 of 1 Peter. He says this. He says, above all, above all, keep fervent in love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. This is the greatest witness that we can be to the world that is lost. When they look at us and they say, how in the world can you forgive? Look what they've done. And instead, we wrap our arms around them in love. And we show them grace. And we show them mercy. And there's times of discipline. But it brings unity to the body. And Peter says, above all, above all, love one another because love covers a multitude sins. This love reaches out. It can only come from where? It says right here, it says it can only come from the heart. Heart of the redeemed believer. Verse 23 it says, for you have been born again not of a seed which is perishable by imperishable. You have been born again that you have a new life. You have a new life founded in Christ. And this seed, the seed that we that he's referring to here, a seed that uh, is kind of the beginning of creation for plants and animals and all things here on the earth, the seed is not that. This seed is a seed that is implanted into you by the work of Christ on the cross by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a seed that will not perish. It will not fade away. It will last forever. And that your inheritance that he speaks of is secure forever in this seed. This seed of Christ. So this seed represents the source of all life for believers. And that's the Spirit of God in us. And then the last part. Verse 23, and in the verse 23 it says, That is, through the living and enduring word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glories, like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower fall off. The word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which is preached to you. So as the band comes back up, this holiness is, is not a request, but it is a command for believers to walk in holiness. That we must prepare our minds and keep sober our spirit. That we must fix our hope on the revelation of Jesus Christ. That there was a price that was paid for you and I on the cross and that the bloodshed for you and I could obtain holiness. So only through the bloodshed, only through that price, we ever obtain holiness. 
So there was a price that was paid. And now Christ has restored you. He has redeemed you. And he has called you to walk in holiness. And so now that the Spirit of Christ lives in you, you can be purified, you can be sanctified by this obedience, by the Word, and the way that you love others. So this urgent call to holiness is so that God will refine His people in a way that will bring glory to His name through the royal priesthood called church. Let us pray. Father, God, we thank You that... Uh, that you are sovereign over everything. God, we thank you for this great salvation of your mercy and your grace that you sent your son to pay the price for our sins, God. And not that it stopped there, but that 